Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow in your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. I made a new friend this past week. He's come to church here two times, um, and he'll never be back. He's not going to come back because his job takes him all over the country. And he told me last Sunday, right after worship, he said, hey, can we meet together? I really struggle with putting down roots, joining with a congregation, becoming a member anywhere, because the longest I've ever been anywhere with my job has been six to nine months. And he said, this job is now over, and I'm going to leave town, and I'd really just like to talk. And what he was struggling with, and we ended up meeting last Wednesday, he was struggling, he had doubts about his faith. Now, I'm not sure uh, all the things that go into why he had doubts. He told me a reason, I'll tell you in just a second. But one of the reasons I think maybe he was having doubts is he, he was kind of a new Christian. He was an older man, but he'd only been a Christian for five years. He'd only given his life to Christ five years ago. Uh, I think that can, uh, just being new to the faith, sometimes you don't know everything that you think you ought to know and you're still growing up, I think that can bring about doubts. Maybe he was having doubts because he has recently seen some prominent Christian leaders uh, in the news because they've given up their faith. And so that can sometimes make us have doubts, make us start questioning what we believe and why we believe. Um, I think part of his doubts uh, stem from the fact that he was having some health problems. And he told me, Dale, all my other prayers God has answered. I've prayed for my children. I've prayed for my uh, finances. I've prayed for this, I prayed for this but I, God has not taken this health problem away from me. And I think he was having doubts because he was wondering if I'm praying and I know God hears and he hears the prayers of a righteous man and he's not answering my prayer, does that mean I'm not righteous? Does that mean I'm not in? Does that mean I'm not one of his children? And we discussed how... Uh, that can bring about doubts in people, but God uh, never promises we'll have health or wealth or well-being on this side of heaven. We will get that, but right now He is more interested us in, in us enduring and displaying faithfulness even through trouble. Uh, one of the things that really stuck out to Him in our conversation, I said, if Christ, who never did anything wrong and who was totally loved by the Father and who did all things right, had to suffer why would we be better than Christ and not have to deal with some suffering? He said, oh, I never thought about it that way. And then one of his main reasons he was struggling with doubt is he said, I've never been overwhelmed with emotion like some of my friends who are Christians are. And that, that made me think some. I, emotions can be very deceptive. Emotions are kind of a lot of times based on circumstances, so are happy or sad, um, Depression happens to Christians too, and he had battled depression. And I tried to, we had, we had to walk through that a little while, that just because you feel something one way or another doesn't determine your salvation. And so as guys, guys usually are not overwhelmed with emotions or even overwhelmed by the emotion of Christ. And so uh, I have a friend of mine who um, we were in prayer together, and all of a sudden he collapsed to the floor and just started weeping. And we kept praying, and we prayed over him, and he just couldn't get up. And afterwards he said, Dale, it was like God had taken his foot and stomped me to the ground and held me there, and it was overpowering love, and I was just overwhelmed. Now, I've never had any experience like that, and I kind of think he's a little weird for doing it. But he, it was real for him. But I've never experienced that. My, now, I cry. I'm, 
easily have tears come in my eyes, so much so that my wife sometimes calls me a sissy, but the emotional response to Christ doesn't determine my salvation. And just because I've never experienced an overwhelming sensation doesn't mean I'm not saved. Same thing for those who do experience a lot of emotions in worship. Just because you feel emotionally connected doesn't make you saved or not saved either. And so sometimes my friends who really experience emotion, um, they, they'll go through a dry spell where they won't be overwhelmed or they won't be caught up in the emotion and they'll wonder, is my salvation true anymore? Have I lost my salvation? Uh, some of my friends are like, oh, I've got goosebumps. I must be saved. You know, emotions don't really drive whether we're saved or not. And uh, my new friend, he, he left encouraged. We went back and we looked through some of the promises of God and we looked at um, the benchmarks God had given him to know that Christ was truly in his life. He can look back and know the moment he was baptized where he committed his life to Christ. He believed with his head that Jesus had died and rose again and he trusted him with his heart to take away his sin. His life had experienced quite a bit of change where he was living one way and really living out the realm of darkness, but now his life is a display of the light of Christ. And I said, well, that's fruit, that's evidence that the salvation took. You have a benchmark of where Christ said, this is what I'm going to do to you because you've committed to me. And um, so he left encouraged. But I want to encourage you a little bit today with the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 3. He's writing to a church at Philippi who uh, were experiencing maybe some doubts and some fractions and factions because these uh, false teachers had come in their midst. And the false teachers had come in, and they had been teaching them, hey, you know, if you want to be saved by Christ, he is the Messiah, but he's the Jewish Messiah, so if you want to be saved, you have to go through the Jewish route to get there. And Judaism, they were saying, is number one, his, those are God's people, and everybody else kind of joins in. And if you want to join in with Christ, you've got to be a Jew as well. And that left some people with doubts about their faith. And so Paul, in chapter 3, he kind of explains exactly how salvation works and who we have to have salvation through. And it's not based on what we do, but it's based on trusting what Christ did. And getting to know that more intimately and deeper. Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes to the church at Philippi. And he starts off with this. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write to you the same things again, and it's a safeguard for you. Now, if, if we don't go any further than verse 1 of chapter 3, we have some ways to battle doubt in our life and some ways to endure life in Christ just by that verse. Rejoice in the Lord. There is so much to be joyful in in Christ that it makes everything else pale in comparison. For example... If you can remember to strive for joy in Christ, it changes the way we live and act. Where if we can find joy in Christ, we are allowed to take, and we can take, and we do take Christ everywhere we go. And if Christ is our joy, and everywhere Christ is, our joy is, then no matter what we're going through, we can have joy. So if we have financial troubles, but our joy is not in our finances, it's in Christ. It's not in stability, it's in Christ. It's not in having everything we want or even having everything we need, it's in Christ. We still have joy. 
if we take Christ with us when we experience bad health, if our health is what we determine our joy on, then we will have ups and downs forever, and it's going to get worse as we get older. Amen? Nobody wants that to be true, but it's true. But if we have joy in Christ, no matter what we experience with our health, then all of a sudden we have joy even in the midst of bad health. If we struggle in a relationship that has gone sour or we've been hurt, our joy is based on Christ so we can even have joy when we experience sadness and sorrow and pain and hurt because our joy is in Christ. No wonder Paul says, rejoice in the Lord because it's going to be a safeguard for you. It's also going to guard against these spiritual attacks or these attacks from false teachers that are going to come along. And so Paul begins to explain and help people with their doubts. And he says, beware, watch out for those dogs. Even in the day of Paul, there were beware of dog signs. Now, dogs in the Roman uh, colonies, and Philippi was a Roman city based on Rome, they would have dogs, they would have guard dogs, and they would have dogs that were wild dogs, and they would form packs, and those packs would uh, be territorial, where they would be, it would be danger to walk through where the dog packs were sometimes especially if the city guard didn't come take care of them. And the dog word was uh, used of unclean Gentiles by the Jews originally, but Paul reverses it. He says, those who teach false doctrine to trust in something else for your salvation, that's going to lead to a lot of doubt, by the way. Those are the unclean dogs now. So he says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And what he's talking about is these Judaizers had come in. They said, if you want to be with Christ, you have to be a Jewish first. And to be Jewish, the Old Testament, Old Covenant ritual, to be Jewish, to be inside in Judaism is to be circumcised. Now, if you're an adult in here, I'm not going to explain it to you. And if you're a child in here and you don't know what circumcision is, please ask your parents today at lunch. <laughs> but the Jewish... <laughs> and parents, please let me know how these conversations go. They would come into a church with a bunch of people who were not Jews who wanted to worship Jesus. And they'd say, oh yeah, Jesus is a Messiah, but he's a Jewish Messiah. So if you want to be connected, you have to do the things of Judaism. And the first way to get into Judaism is to be circumcised. Now that was a sign of Jewish believers. In fact, before Abraham had a child, God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a child in your old age. And this is part of the promise that I'm giving to you that you're going to bless all people through your descendant. Well, before Abraham had a child, he was circumcised, and then he had a child. When Moses was called to lead the people out of Egypt, God was going to kill him because he had not circumcised his children. And then his children were circumcised, and he led the people out of Egypt. Circumcision was a sign under the Old Covenant. It was a ritual that guaranteed you were in. It was an outward ritual. But God is always talking about what's going on inwardly with us. And so he said, you have to have a circumcision of the heart to be saved. You have to take out the heart, the rebellious heart of stone, the one that won't listen, that is not manageable by God, and you have to put in a heart of flesh. And God says, I will cut away your old rebellious heart. I will provide a spiritual circumcision not done by the hands of men, having been buried in baptism, Colossians chapter 2. I will forgive you, pay the penalty of sin. I will make you circumcised spiritually. And Paul says, 
Watch out for the dogs that teach you something different. He says, we are the circumcision. We who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and we who put no confidence in the flesh. And then Paul, he kind of has this aside where he says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence... If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. See, Paul was a Jew before he became a Christian. And he has all this list of why he is a better Jew than anybody else, because that was what the Judaizers would come in and say, no, you've got to be Jewish. Paul says, no, no, I'm the Jew above all Jews. I love how he said this. You know, if you were a Jewish boy, you had to be circumcised on the eighth day. And Paul said, I'm circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. And what he's saying is, Ethnically, I am Jewish. And I can trace my genealogy all the way back to the tribes when they came out of Egypt. Both my parents were Jews, and both their parents were Jews, and both their parents before them were Jews because they kept records of such things. He says, ethnically, I am really good. Uh, Tribe-wise, I'm really good. My name carries a lot of weight. I am Hebrew above Hebrews. I'm the number one Hebrew. In regard to the law, I have the highest rank you can get other than one of the high priests. I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, you couldn't tell anybody more sincere than me because I would kill people for my faith. I persecuted the church. As for righteousness on the base, based on the law, faultless. Can you imagine Paul being a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, knew all 615 of the laws, kept all of them, and he could declare himself faultless before God based on the law. Imagine if you were to stack up all of your credentials in front of God, because that's what the Judaizers were doing. That's what they said you had to do. Stack up your credentials, and this is how you're going to get in the kingdom of heaven. So let's just go back to high school. Stack up your credentials from high school to now. So if I think about this, I have a letterman jacket. Doesn't fit anymore. I was voted, it's in the yearbook, most likely to something. I don't even remember. I have some plaques, and I have this clock. I got a clock for going to school every day from kindergarten to 12th grade and never missing a day. A clock. That is still at my mom's house, that every time I visit, because she's really proud of me, she says, why don't you want to take that clock home and put it in your office, show it off? No, not really. Okay? accomplishments. My accomplishments from high school would be about, well, if I fold the jacket just right, maybe this high. Is that going to get me into heaven? Let's say I could add something. Let's say that I could be as good as a Pharisee and keep all 615 laws. How tall would my accomplishments be? Will that get me into heaven? Does that make me right with God? Paul says about these accomplishments, he said, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss based on the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I love that found in him phrase. We're going to come back to it. Be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that's based on the law, based on my accomplishments, based on my deeds, based on my name, based on my ethnicity, based on my rank, based on anything, my accolades. 
My righteousness is not going to be based on the things I've done. It's not going to be based on the Old Testament rituals. It's not going to be based on anything but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God based on the basis of faith. The foundation of our salvation is do I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, believe that he died and rose again, and trust that it accomplished what he told me it accomplished, removing the penalty of my sin. That's faith. Two parts. Knowing it's true and trusting that it's true. That's what our salvation is based on, on the basis of faith. Righteousness is a kind of neat word. It means right with God. And when I trust Jesus, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. When I trust Jesus, that is how I know I'm saved. That removes some doubts. Because it's not based on what I do. It's not based on my accomplishments. It's not based on my accolades. It's not based on anything that somebody can say, look what you did. It's based on what Jesus did on the cross. That's one of the reasons why we have a giant cross in the room, is to remind us continually that Jesus' actions are what saves us. By the way, if you're visiting with us, we don't worship this cross. It's just a picture to remind us. And by the way, if you're a member of this church and you know where that cross came from, we don't worship that cross. Paul says, I consider all things garbage compared to knowing Christ. So any decorations we have, anything we do differently with the building, it's all garbage compared to knowing Jesus because knowing Jesus is how we get into heaven, not whether we have the right decorations or the right accolades or the right praise or the right ethnicity or the right genealogy or the right position or the right rank. It's knowing Jesus. One of the things that I think we should do while we listen to a sermon from anybody, not just me, from anybody. And this guarantees if the preacher is not very good or the preacher goes long <laughs> or the preacher goes short or the preacher is entertaining or not entertaining, I think this way of listening helps guarantee that we kind of put that to a side and kind of focus in on what's most important. I think a great way to listen to a sermon is to prayerfully say this prayer every so often to yourself, not have to be out loud, God, would you make this text happen within me? Think about all the ways that you could have prayed that prayer already. Rejoice in the Lord. God, would you make this text happen in me? That I would find joy in Christ. In Him alone, above all other things. Lord, would you make this text happen in me? That I would lay aside anything that I am proud of so that I could know Christ. Lord, would you make this text happen in me? And that's what Paul says in verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Your homework this week is to pray, anytime you hear a message or anytime you hear the scripture read, is to, it's two parts, by the way, pray, Lord, make this text happen in me. My friend who is having doubts of his faith, if he would only know Christ, Christ would help remove his doubts. Lord, make that text happen in him. Now, this knowledge of Christ is pretty interesting. There's a couple of words in Greek for knowledge. One of them is uh, kind of like information. 
And the other one is kenosis, which is used here by Paul, and it means experiential knowledge. It's the same Greek word that is used when they translated the entire Bible into Greek. Um, it's called the Septuagint. So they, they took the Hebrew and they translated it in Greek, and they took the New Testament, or later, the New Te- this same word that they used in the Old Testament, they translated it in Greek. It's the same word. Adam, when he knew his wife Eve and had children, that's the Greek word for knowledge there. I want to know Christ. That's an intimate, deep, growing, increasing knowledge of not only my Savior, but my friend. I love how the Amplified Version translates this. My determined purpose, verse 10, my determined purpose is that I may know him experientially, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. I want to know Christ. Think about your relationships. Think about your relationships if you have a spouse with your spouse. Think about your relationships if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Think about your relationships with your friends. Think about your relationship with your children or your grandparents or your, do you desire to have a deeper relationship with them? A deeper friendship where you not only know about them, but you start maybe knowing what they're thinking ahead of time. You maybe can finish their sentence for them. You maybe can just start enjoying their presence. And this is what Paul says is a way to get rid of doubts, but it's a way to grow in your faith is to know experientially God. So whereas our feelings are not really involved, there is a feeling of I am growing to know Christ. What are some ways we can know Christ? What are some ways we can know Jesus? First, we need to pray, God, make this text happen in me that I would know Christ. You know, he gave us some some ways to know him. One of the ways that we have to do, and I don't know that you can be a Christian if you don't do this, we have to admit that we are sinners and helpless without Jesus. I have a clog in my sink drain at home. It's terrible. Water's backing up in the sink. Dishes are backing up on the counters. I took apart, I drained the sink. I took apart the plumbing. I went in and uh, poured the Drano as close to where I think the clog is as I can get. Then followed it up with hot water. It just flowed backwards. I I got a uh, rotor rooter and I used it, a 15-foot rotor rooter, and used it. It came up to a point where it wouldn't go any further and I turned it and it it went further I said oh it must have gone through the clock I was so excited and it went all the way out 15 feet rolled it back up put water down the sink and it just backed up again I bet I bet the clog is 16 feet out I don't have any problem with the water flow I don't have any problem to the access to the source of water but I got a clog in my sink drain that's keeping the flow from happening. By the way, there is no problem with the power of God or the access to it because he said, I will draw near to you. In the Old Testament, you had to be ceremonial clean, you had to bring the right kind of sacrifice, and then you drew near to God by going in the temple and making a sacrifice. Jesus comes along and said, I'm gonna draw near to you. 
And he is doing that today. He's drawing near to you. He's coming close. He's available to you. He's willing to give you his power, the same power that raised him from the dead, the power of the resurrection. Paul says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. There's no problem with us having access to the source, and there's no problem with the source. If we are not growing to know Jesus better, there's probably a problem with us. We probably have a clog somewhere in our drain where we go to Christ, but we're not giving him access to all of us. We're not admitting that we need his help, and we are preventing him. That's a wrong way to say that. Can we really stop God from doing anything? But he's a gentleman, and he allows us to reject him. But he's given us tools to know him, and part of that is saying, God, I acknowledge and admit that I am helpless without your help. And I'm a sinner without your salvation. And then we have to give him access to every part of our life. I love that phrase. We read it earlier. Be found in Christ. I told you we'd come back for it. Have you really given God access to every area of your life? That's what I asked my friend who was having doubts. If you were to be examined and God were to lay out your bank account in front of everyone, would everybody be able to see that you are in Christ by looking at your spending? Or if God, and he says this is going to happen in the end time, everything we've ever thought or done or said will be displayed for all to see, would you be found in Christ? If God were to take your internet browser history, even the ones that you've hidden, and revealed it to everyone, would you be revealed to be in Christ? Would you be found in Christ? Be found in him. If God takes all your thoughts and displays them on the projector on the big screen so everybody could see what you were thinking, would you be found to be in him? If you took all of your words that you spoke, would you be found in him based on that evidence? What about how you think about others? If you look down on others being less than, you have more credentials stacked up, would you be found in Christ? Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection that's available to me. It's a source to me. I can access it if I give God access to all of my life. And participation, it's the same fellowship word he used in chapter 2. It's the same fellowship word he used in chapter 1. This partnering to produce a product in our life. Fellowship, sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. Now, God is not necessarily calling us to be crucified on a wooden cross physically, but he is calling us to say no to ourselves and yes to him. He's calling us to say no to our sinful desires and yes to righteousness. He's calling us to say no and be suffering for righteousness' sake. If you were examined, would somebody say, yeah, you've suffered for righteousness? You've done the right thing even when it was not easy? Would you be found in Christ? Paul says, I want to know Christ. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Lord, would you make this text happen in me? God, would you make this text happen in our church? Amen.
Paul says, I'm not perfect at this. I haven't obtained all this. Or have I already arrived at my goal? But I press on to take hold of that which God, Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, church, Wilmington Church of Christ, Paul says, I have to say, I haven't reached the goal yet. I'm not perfect. How's he say it? Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize. I messed up somewhere in there. That God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who, mature, who are mature then should take on such a view of things. We should be pressing on toward that goal. We should press on to be the goal of perfect. We should press on to be the goal of knowing Christ. One of the things I love about our church is our church from the beginning, and even back when the restoration movement started, has always been about giving and equipping members with tools that would allow them to know Christ. They've always been about studying the Word. They've always been about prayer. They've always been about telling others about Jesus. These are all tools to know Jesus, to experience His power, to suffer for, with Him in righteousness, to know experientially, deeper, more clearly, Jesus. I love our church for that. But what about in you? Church, collectively, we do that. But what about in you individually? Are you praying that this text would be done in you? Do you know Jesus as your Savior, as your Master, as your friend? Can you sing honestly what a beautiful name it is? Can you honestly claim to know the power of Christ working in you, that He broke every chain? Can you sing that because you've admitted and given access and grown to know Him more deeply? Paul says none of us are perfect at it, but we ought to keep going after the goal. Now, I love how he ends this, this little passage in verse 16. He says, all of us then should live up to what we've already attained. See, Christ has drawn near to us. He's grabbed us. He's taken hold of us. He's given us a new creation. If we're in Christ, we have become new people. We've been a part of the family of God. And Paul says, live up to that new calling over your life of knowing and being like Christ. One of the ways that Jesus gives us to know him better is through communion. He says, when you gather together as a group of believers, you need to take this communion, do it in remembrance of me. And when we remember Christ, our faith is strengthened and our knowledge of Jesus, when we meditate on what he did, he died on the cross because he loved me, but he died on the cross because I sinned. And it's a reminder that not only did he die on the cross, but he rose from the dead and I have freedom now in Christ. And I've been saved through faith. And I'm a different person. All of that happens in that moment of the meal. Communion. So the last couple of weeks, as a church, we've been taking communion and doing the action of the eating and drinking at the same time. Now, usually in, in our church, we'll have a communion time every week because we like it, because we think the first church met every Sunday and had communion. 
And there's no command, but we like it. We like this memorial. We like this remembrance. We think it grows our faith when we do it. We think it's a reminder of who Jesus is and a memorial service that reminds us that he did this and is coming back. And we do it every week. And usually the tray is passed. We take the bread and we pass the tray. And we take the cup and we drink it. We put the cup back and pass it on. And we sit and meditate on who Christ is. But today and for this whole month, we're trying to take communion together because we are one church. And so when the tray is passed, please hold the bread. When the other tray is passed, please hold the cup and sit and meditate on what Christ has done for you while you hold the elements. And then together we will take the bread and drink the cup. Let's pray. Lord Christ, I thank you for this reminder you gave us on how, one of the ways, that we get to know you. Lord, I, I like the phrase, it's a means of grace, because it does build our faith. It does remind us that we needed rescue and that you rescued us. It does remind us that your love for us is more than we can even imagine. So Lord, during this remembrance of you, would you grow our faith? Would you help us to know Christ experientially? Even during this time of communion. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.